0: Welcome to Question Period, I'm Evan Solomon. Today
1: on the program, new evidence. It's entirely inappropriate, and it is political interference. And I, the Prime Minister, obviously, can talk to whomever he wants, but what I am trying to do is to protect him.
0: A stunning secretly recorded conversation by the former Attorney General Jordy Wilson-Raybould and a trove of new documents. Was Wilson-Raybould threatened to give a deal to SNC-Lavalin? Was it political interference condoned by the Prime Minister? MPs are here to debate the latest twist in this saga and what happens next. Then, veiled threat?
2: I think uh, it represents values, our values, and it's important.
0: Quebec is banning provincial employees like teachers, police, and judges from wearing any religious symbols. And they'll use the notwithstanding clause to avoid any legal challenges. Is this discrimination a violation of freedom of religion? Quebec MA Christopher Skeet joins us to defend the controversial bill. Plus, carbon tax wars.
1: Unfortunately, we've had to step in because pollution knows no borders. The federal
0: price on carbon rolls out across four provinces tomorrow. How much more should you expect to pay at the pump? And how much will you get back at tax time? The Environment Minister Catherine McKenna is here. We have all that, plus the latest controversy over Justin Trudeau's thank you for your donation remark to an indigenous protester that went viral in all the wrong ways. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. So that is the voice of Michael Wernick, the clerk of the Privy Council, in a December 19th stunning conversation secretly recorded by the then Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould. Wilson-Raybould believes this conversation proves she was threatened by Wernick and by others to give SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement. Um, something Wilson-Raybould explicitly told Wernick is political interference. Now, this is an unprecedented glimpse into the inner workings of the government and reveals the depths of the distrust inside the cabinet. Is this a so-called smoking gun proof that Wilson-Raybould really was stopping what she calls political interference? Or was it, as Wernick claims, entirely appropriate? What has to happen now? To find out, let's bring in MPs. Randy Boisino is a Liberal Justice Committee member from Alberta. He's in Edmonton today. With me in studio is conservative finance critic Pierre Polyevra. And Peter Julian is the NDP House leader. He is in Vancouver. Uh, Randy Boisino, let me start with you. the Prime sure. Minister and Michael Wernick and others have consistently said they didn't inappropriately pressure the former Attorney General, Jody wilson Rabel. Now we've got this extraordinary 17-minute-long tape of the conversation she had with Wernick. She explicitly tells him in December, this is unequivocally political interference. She says, I'm warning you in the strongest language, essentially, back off. Why were her warnings not heeded?
3: Well, I think what we learned today, Evan, is that it confirms what we already knew. The case is still going to trial. She was not directed. The ethics commissioner is going to finish the study. And Anne McClellan is going to take a look to see whether the attorney general and MOJ should be separated. So,
0: like, really this confirms for me things that we already knew at at Justice Committee. Well, hang on a second. First of all, she was shuffled a month after this. So let me ask you, uh, your interpretation then. When she, when Michael Wernick says to the then attorney general who, by the way, believes this is a veiled threat. She says, I think the prime minister is going to find a way to get this done one way or another, saying a deferred prosecution agreement to SNC-Lavalin. He is in that kind of mood. This sounds to anyone like a a veiled threat. She shuffled right after. What does he mean when he said, I think the prime minister is going to find a way to get it done one way or another?
3: Well, I think you've heard the prime minister clearly that, uh, we were sticking up for jobs. We were making sure that we looked at... This is a new law. This was the first time uh, this had been put on the books. And everybody was being very careful to make sure that we were on the right side of the law, but also taking into account the public policy implications. I mean, we're talking 3,500 jobs in Quebec, thousands in Ontario, but 1,000 jobs here in my own province of Alberta. So we wanted to get it right. Again, okay, I mean, but sorry, this so is a with conversation do, about the respect, intensity
0: of conversations. But with all due respect, sure. last question to you. I'm going to quote Jody Wilson-Raybould. You keep saying it's about jobs. This is what she said back in December. Here we are in April and, and March. And March, she says, does the prime minister understand the gravity of this? What this could potentially mean? This is not about saving jobs. She says, this is about interfering with one of our fundamental institutions. This is like breaching a constitutional principle of prosecutorial independence. You keep saying it's about jobs. Jody Wilson-Raybould said. It's not. It's about judicial independence. Why is your government not listening to her? Well, the government
3: uh, did listen to her and had conversations about the fact that it was always her call. But she says clearly in in the statement today that when she got the Section 13 notice, she didn't think she needed to tell anybody about it or she didn't need to think she needed to do any more with that. And let's not even talk about the ethical breach of recording the clerk of the Privy Council secretly who is to be your trusted colleague. Like, let's just put that to the side for a bit and talk about the fact that it was always, from the Prime Minister and from the people around the Prime Minister, the Attorney General's call
4: to make.
0: All right, well now you're saying that Jody Wilson-Raybould made an ethical breach. Mr. Ever, what's your reaction to the recording, the new evidence, where does this go?
4: Well, the recording proves uh, what we've suspected all along. That Jody Wilson-Raybould was telling the truth and Justin Trudeau was not. I point specifically to Trudeau's claim uh, in, uh, on February 15th when he said, if anyone including the former attorney general, had issues. It was her responsibility to come forward. It was their responsibility to come forward. And no one did. Clearly, she did come forward in a conversation that was recorded and reported back but, to the prime w- minister. Erna
0: w- w- claims that it was within his purview. And he says, I don't want you to do anything inappropriate here. We think it's appropriate to exactly. consider using the deferred prosecution agreement.
4: Right. And this is what he this is what he says to her in order to help convince her. He says... I'm worried about a collision. And he, the prime minister, is very firm. And we know what that collision was. A month later, Jody Wilson-Raybould was punted from the role of attorney general because she refused to cut a special deal for SNC-Lavalin and shelve those charges.
0: Uh, let me bring in Peter Julian. Mr. Julian, you've read this, you've heard this uh, extraordinarily uh, secret conversation that was recorded, now revealed. What's your takeaway? It's
5: absolutely outrageous conduct and interference in a decision that was the attorney general's to make. Jagmeet Singh has called for a public inquiry. Many Canadians are calling for a public inquiry. uh, If. If the Liberals really want to come clean, because I, I think the, their, their conduct has been reprehensible through this entire period, uh, then what Mr. Trudeau needs to announce uh, next week, uh, first first moment when he gets into the House, is that there will be a public inquiry so all Canadians can learn, can learn the truth about this uh, absolutely inappropriate series of uh, of behaviors.
0: Uh, Mr. Trudeau, let me just press back. She does say in this recording, it's pretty extraordinary, this is she doesn't even equivocate. This is political interference. But then in her testimony that you were at, she said nothing illegal happened. How do you square the circle that in a conversation she records, she says, this is political interference and she feels threatened. But then when she's asked at committee, was this illegal? She says no. There is a very clear pattern
5: of inappropriate behavior here. And when you couple that with the leaks from the prime minister's office last week around the Supreme Court justice uh, judicial appointment process, uh, which is uh, supposed to be a confidential process. What we see is a is a prime minister's office under the direction of the prime minister that is running amok. And that is why we need a
0: public inquiry. Randy Wozno, now we've got all this new evidence, um, these documents. Uh, will the Justice Committee, which shut out Jody Wilson-Raybould, the Liberal Control Committee, will they now invite her back to test this evidence, to go over these recordings, call her back to speak? So, Evan, as I said if you
3: take a look at the the document today and you read the transcript, this yes simply no. confirms what we already knew and yes look we no. can have a conversation at the justice committee but she had 4 is hours. Yes? She had a 38 minute, she had a 38 minute opening statement Pierre and more testimony than anybody else. Everybody was treated under the same waiver. We came to a conclusion on this study and it's it, literally it is time to Get on with what Canadians expect us to do, which is improve their lives and uh, and get on with the business of of governing.
0: So, you, okay. so, so, okay. So, you you don't think you need to test this recording? It sounds like they won't invite her back if that's the answer. Is uh, no, Pierre Paul. Yeah. Well,
4: I mean, Justin Trudeau has shut down two parliamentary investigations into his SNC Lavalin scandal. If he has absolutely nothing to hide, why wouldn't he let her complete her testimony? Why wouldn't he let Jane Philpott also testify, given that she has said there is much more. More to this story to come out what she would have witnessed as a Treasury Board president why is he banning the, the nine other Trudeau officials that are linked to this scandal have been named by Wilson Rabel why can't they all just come forward answer questions so that everybody knows what
0: happened. Obviously, this is not going anywhere. More calls for a a public inquiry from the NDP. Uh, We'll see what the Conservatives ask for uh, when the House resumes Monday. Randy Boisno, Pierre Polyevra, and Peter Julian. Always good to have the three of you on the program. We'll take a deeper dive into these documents and that recorded conversation uh, later in the program when this scrum gathers. But coming, and our special guest, by the way, will be Green Party leader Elizabeth May. But coming up next... Another huge issue, has Quebec crossed a line with with its controversial bill that bans teachers, police and judges from wearing any religious symbols or is this just the protection of secular values that people want? We'll find out next when we talk to the Quebec politician tasked with defending the new controversial law next. Stay right here with Question Period.
6: It is unthinkable to me. That in a free society, we would legitimize discrimination against citizens based on their religion.
0: So Quebec has gone ahead with a controversial plan to ban religious symbols in public places by people in power. Many see this as discrimination against religious minorities, namely Muslims, but others as well, who would no longer be able to wear things like the headscarves or any other religious clothing. Christians might not be able to wear a cross. Jews not a keepa while working as provincial employees in positions of power does this infringe on freedom of religion has quebec gone too far in its separation of church and state we are joined now by christopher skeet he's the parliamentary assistant to the quebec premier and he's in charge of talking about this issue for english-speaking quebecers he is in montreal good morning thanks for being here Good morning, Evan. Ms. Skeet, explain how this is not an infringement on the religious freedoms of individuals. It is not discrimination based on religion.
7: Well, we don't believe it is discrimination. I think it's important to really confirm the secular nature of the state. And this is what this legislation aims to to do. At the same time, we have to remember that it's always uh, critical in a democracy to balance individual rights from collective rights. And we think that with this piece of legislation, we've struck the perfect balance.
0: Tell me in eye-level terms, like what impact would a teacher who wants to wear a small cross as jewelry or a Jewish teacher who wants to wear a kippa, the head covering, a turban, uh, a hijab for a Muslim person, what, how does that infringe on their ability to teach math to kids? Like why would you ban that for teachers?
7: Well, the state has to be neutral in our estimation, in appearance, as well as in fact, so I think appearances do matter and I think it's important that the state, especially when it's ex- exercising its uh, coercive power, its awesome coercive power, that it remain neutral in appearance as well as in fact. So I think, you know, it, it does matter what people wear and I think these uh, these articles of clothing, religious symbols, they do communicate something. So I think it's important. I think that we're making important strides and we're continuing uh, the path of secularization that we began uh, 50 years ago. So it's a, it's an important moment for us.
0: Yeah, but I, I'm trying to figure out, the state has to have checks on, as you say, it's coercive or awesome power, but we have a charter of rights that protects people's individual religious freedoms. And what it is is a balance of rights. My question is, did you get the balance right.
7: I think you used the right word there, Evan, balance, and I think this is exactly what we've proposed. You know, some people in Quebec society think we're not going far enough. Some people think we've gone too far. For us, it was a question of making uh, choices. The choices weren't easy. This is something that we've been discussing in Quebec for over 12 years now. So it's important that we put this behind us so that we can focus on the economy, on health care, and on jobs. I really do think we've struck the right balance. But to be be fair, um, if you you had the right
0: balance, if if you're really confident you had the right balance, your government wouldn't already say you're going to use the notwithstanding clause, which makes it impossible for the minority groups who are wearing these religious symbols to be protected from what they view as the tyranny of the majority. What justification does your government have to use the notwithstanding clause in this piece of legislation?
7: Well, we do live in a democracy, so, you know, the, the majority often does uh, determine the, the orientation that we take. But we always have to be careful when we uh, make laws like this to make sure that we do respect uh, minority rights. And in this regard, it's the reason why we entrenched uh, our freedom of religion once again in our, in our Constitution. And we're also adding the value of secularism, and I think that's an important thing to do. Now, with regards to your, your question about the notwithstanding clause, uh, there's nothing unconstitutional about what we're doing since it is in the Constitution that we have this ability. So I think uh, the, the, the framers of the Constitution were were right in their desire to say, you know, there are times when a society needs to make choices uh, that, uh, that need to consider collective rights as opposed to individual rights. But is this we an abusive one of those times? Uh,
0: the concern is you're abusing the right. You're using the notwithstanding clause in a way that is abusive, that this isn't the place to do it, and you're using it to entrench a discrimination based on religion uh, against people of uh, religious minorities, and you're making it impossible for them to challenge this. Because how do you challenge this? If you're a teacher, how would you challenge this when, when the government is using the awesome power of the state and the notwithstanding clause?
7: Well, the notwithstanding clause isn't uh, this all-encompassing uh, piece of legislation. It only allows uh, for certain uh, chapters or certain paragraphs of the Constitution for its application. So, again, the framers were quite responsible in the way that they devised the, uh, the notwithstanding clause so that it can be applied in situations just like this. Aren't
0: you keeping these people who want to wear these symbols out of uh, working in good public service jobs? Look at the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh. He could be an RCMP officer wearing a turban, but now if he want to be a police officer in Quebec, you tell him, sorry, you can't do that unless you take off that turban. You can lead the NDP, you can be in the RCMP, but in Quebec, you can't be a police officer. You can't be a teacher unless you take that off. Is that what's happening now?
7: Well, actually, it's, it's, the use of "can't" is very important. We're not saying you can't. We're saying that when you come to work, when you exercise the power of the state, that you leave your religion at the door. And I don't think that's too much to ask. No, in but a to be fair, society. that's can't.
0: He cannot become a police officer unless he took, takes off the turban. That's right.
7: So while he is working, if he chooses to be a police officer, we would ask him to remove his turban while at work. Yes.
0: But not ask him. You will make him, or he can't work. Let, let's be clear here. It's not, well, you'll ask him and he said, no, sorry, my religion says I can't. Then you'll say, well, don't come to work. Isn't that what we're talking about?
7: Well, there are two types of people, right? There are those who are grandfathered, so those, pers- those persons won't have to make that choice. And there are those who are not currently employed, in which case they will have to make a choice between uh, whether or not they're willing to uh, work without their religious symbol or uh, or not.
0: But where's the big problem here? This is what I'm trying to figure out. Why is it just a problem? I know Quebec's dealt with this for a long time in the reasonable accommodation debate. I used to live there. I appreciate it. But I don't figure it out. B.C.'s not having this issue. Alberta's not having it. Saskatchewan's not. Ontario's not having this why is this this sudden battle for secularism such an issue that you've got to tell people who are wearing religious garb, who wear it, who are taxpayers, they want to work as police officers and judges and teachers, you've got to choose between working for the state and choosing your religion. Why force people to make that choice? I just still don't see the urgency of this dilemma.
7: Well, I think a lot of Western democracies are asking that question, Evan. So you're right, um, when, we, when we look at other provinces in Canada, they may not be uh, discussing it the way that we are, but when you poll Canadians, uh, they're not that far off from what we're saying, especially the English community in Quebec. The polls are pretty much similar. So whether or not the other provinces should be having that debate, I'll leave that to the other parliament.
0: Is your government open to change? Could you loosen restrictions? Could you actually tighten them as the debate over this legislation continues?
7: We're, there is a consultation period, uh, and we're also looking to get support from other parties. Um, I wouldn't close the door on anything, but to be honest, I think we, do, we did strike a good balance here, and we're going to try and make sure that we can, um, we can get as many people uh, on board as possible. But at the same token, um, this has been going on for a very long time. We're really eager to talk about the economy in Quebec.
0: Well, uh, every federal leader has condemned what your government's just done. Everyone, the Conservatives, the NDP, and the Liberal, they've all, and the Green Party. They've all said it's the wrong way to go.
7: I, uh, I respect their decision. Uh, fortunately, Quebec has the, the ability uh, to, to legislate in this matter. And uh, we invite people to have a calm and sober debate about it. And I think it's an important thing for democracies to have, uh, have uh, vigorous debates. So, you know, I, I, I welcome their points of view. Um, and I'm definitely receptive to, to their points of view. And let's have a discussion. Let's talk about the role that religion should have in our state, if any.
0: All right, I' C., I've got to leave it there. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much.
7: Thanks a lot, Evan. I'm happy to be here.
0: All right, coming up next, tomorrow is Carbon Tax Day in four provinces. Can the Liberals sell their tax and rebate plan, or will the Conservatives' anti-tax message win the day? The Environment Minister Catherine McKenna joins us next with new details. Stay right here with Question Period. So small businesses say they aren't ready. New Brunswick says they aren't ready. Saskatchewan and Ontario are still trying to fight it in court. But the federal government's $20 per ton carbon tax will come into effect for those four provinces tomorrow. And that's no April Fool's joke. People in Ontario, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan and Manitoba can expect to pay more at the pump, up to five cents a liter. But but they will also receive a tax rebate under the federal government's plan that's supposed to be worth even more. Just how will each person get that money back, and will this really make a difference? Let's find out. Environment Minister Catherine McKenna is here, and as I always say, I've known you for a long time before you entered politics. Minister, the Conservatives say this is a tax on everything. Everything's going to get more expensive. Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario, say this is going to throw uh, the province into a recession. It is true to an extent that things will get more expensive. What do you tell people who say, I don't want to pay more at the pump, Catherine McKenna? Uh,
1: So most people I talk to, they say they want to see climate action. And we know part of any credible climate plan is making it no longer free to pollute. And we had hoped provinces would step up. And provinces across the board, except for provinces led by conservative politicians, believe that we shouldn't be free to pollute. Um, I it's free to pollute there'll be more pollution so unfortunately we've had to step in because pollution knows no borders we're paying the cost right now but we're putting a price on pollution and giving back a climate action incentive
0: for the average person says, look, I don't want to go spend five more cents per liter. Every time they fill up, they're going to think thank you very much, Liberal government. What do you tell those people?
1: Well, first of all, I say get excited about doing your taxes because you will get your climate action incentive rebate in Ontario, Manitoba, New Brunswick, and Saskatchewan when you file your taxes. So you will get money back. A family of four in Ontario will get $307. That's more than 80% of families than they pay, and you can save even more money. If you use a solution like a smart meter in your home. Instead of heating or cooling your home when you're not there, using a smart meter, you can get it at Canadian Tire um, or any local hardware store. People,
0: you know, conservatives say that don't buy it. This is, no one believes that the government's going to collect a tax only to turn around and give it back. Why collect it in the first place? They don't believe that this rebate is actually the real thing. They've called it a cash
1: grab. What's your response to that? Uh, It's in legislation. So um, Andrew Scheer knows this because it went through Parliament. It's actually by law. We are giving money back. 90% is going directly to people. 10% is going to support businesses, schools, hospitals, uh, cities be more energy efficient and save more money that they can invest in people.
0: But the logic is, and I spoke to the environment minister in Ontario. And he said, I don't even get the logic. If you're supposed to use the market mechanisms to change behavior, right? If you make cigarettes more expensive, maybe there's a black market, but fewer people will buy cigarettes. That's the logic here. If you put a price on pollution, people will take different action. But if you then give them a rebate, Imagine for cigarettes. Yes, we're going to make cigarettes more expensive, but don't worry, we're going to give you even more money than you spend on cigarettes back. Would people really quit smoking? In other words, will this really change people's behavior or is your rebate a political band-aid that actually undermines the logic of behavior change?
1: No, this is a this is a system that works. What you do is you put a price on gas yes let's be clear the price of gas will go up just over four cents um it, and that creates an incentive for people to consider maybe i should look at a more energy efficient vehicle maybe i should choose public transportation we announced five thousand dollars incentive for electric vehicles um but that's your choice you have a choice to do that but you can still you still get the money back at the end of the day because does that
0: undermine the incentive like i drive you want people driving suvs not to go to the pump, make a different choice. But like, well, if I can get a couple hundred bucks back, you've actually just subsidized me driving an SUV. I pay a little more of the pump. I'm still making money. But Why would I change behavior?
1: Because this is how, because it works. Because human behavior will be, oh, I'm paying more here, so maybe I should think about making a different choice. But you can still give the money back. And that's actually a conservative approach to pricing. It's not the only thing we're doing. Okay, but does
0: it work? And I think this is the other thing. A lot of conservatives who don't like this plan, so it doesn't even work. That And there's lots of studies, and you know this, that at $20 a ton, and at $30 a ton, and at $40, there's no way your government will hit the very targets, the Harper targets, the Paris Climate Accord targets, that you've agreed to. It's still not going to work. Their argument is it's got to go up to $200 or $300 a ton to even hit your targets. So then
1: what's the point? So let's be clear, we have committed to making our targets and pricing pollution is not the only thing we're doing because we've decided to take across the board measures that are practical, that are going to reduce emissions and make life affordable. So pricing pollution is part of that. Historic investments, public transportation, part of that. R- light rail transit in Ottawa will be the largest reduction in greenhouse gas emissions in the city's history. Right, but answer the Investors- quick, you're going to
0: get hit on the, on, on the uh, in the election campaign for this and I want the answer. The Conservatives say, how high does the price of carbon have to go to be effective? They're going to say it has to go to $200 or $300 a ton.
1: True or false? Uh, no, because our plan, we are not just putting a price on pollution. They know that. Okay, so that how high that will go? So, so we have a whole range of measures. Do
0: you have plans to raise the price... Uh, per tonne beyond $50. We
1: have said it will go to $50, and then there's a consultation. There is no plan to increase the price now. We okay. are doing a whole range of other measures. But I'm not being cute when I say this, that that I think it is incumbent on the Conservatives to say what their plan is. Andrew Scheer, it's been 330 more days since he said he would have a climate plan. They have no climate plan. They spend all their time fighting and, and putting out misinformation about our plan, um, and climate but change no. is accelerating. It's not it's not becoming less there's a real cost right now they don't seem to understand the cost nor do they seem to understand the opportunity of climate action that conservative politicians they we should all be working together we okay. shouldn't be fighting each other we should do, be fighting climate change uh,
0: you said that this is just part of the plan so are we to understand that before the election you might actually announce more policies that will curtail carbon?
1: We've already announced all our measures. We oh, negotiated... Oh, so there's any new ones coming? Well, I mean, we announced an incentive for electric vehicles. We're always looking at what we can do more. We have a sustainable finance task force. How do we change billions into trillions into clean No, I get solutions. that, but to hit the
0: targets. Like, you know I'm going to ask you every time. When are you hitting the targets? And then really? you'll say, well, we have stuff. So are you have... Do you have new policies coming that will actually get this
1: government to hit the Harper targets? So we are three quarters of the way there for the targets. And I've been clear about this these are 2030 targets we're continuing to accelerate action we still these targets let's be clear are years out of course we need to continue to take action but let's be clear what was happening on the harvard government we were going in the wrong direction there was no plan no policies and it was as if climate change wasn't a serious risk to our economy or a serious opportunity to create good jobs to grow our economy And to do what we need to do for future generations. Uh, Before
0: I let you go, the other big issue for your government is obviously Jody Wilson-Raybould, the SNC-Lavalin, and Jane Philpott. Obviously, she submitted her documents uh, on Friday. Um, Do you think Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould still belong in the caucus? If there was a vote, would you vote to have them? They've had their moment to kick them out.
1: Um, Look, I think that there's an important discussion to be had with caucus. um, And that's a decision for caucus.
0: But you're in caucus, so would you vote to kick him out?
1: Uh, Well, I think it's an important discussion that we have. That when you are in caucus, what you are saying is that you support uh, your colleagues that you support uh, the policies that we have, including taking action yes. on climate change, which I'm continuing to do, um, and also you support the Prime Minister.
0: All right, got to leave it there. Catherine McKenna, always good to have you on the program. Oh, it's great. All right, coming up, a stunning secret conversation revealed between Jody Wilson-Raybould and the Clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Warnock. How damaging will this be for the Prime Minister? Will Wilson-Raybould now be kicked out of caucus? The Scrum is next to debate all of that. Our special guest will be the Green Party leader, Elizabeth May. Stay right here. Here with Question Period.
1: I know I have a tool under under the Prosecution Act that I can use. I do not believe it is appropriate to use it in this case. Okay. All right. Does he understand the gravity of what this potentially could mean? This is not just about saving jobs. This is about interfering with one of our fundamental institutions. So that is just one part of that
0: explosive conversation between the former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould and the Clerk of the Privy Council Michael Warnick that she secretly recorded back in December, a month before she was shuffled, in which she explicitly says she believes the Prime Minister and his team were exerting inappropriate political interference on the SNC-Lavalin affair. She believes she was threatened. Uh, with her job by Wernick, when Wernick said that the prime minister was going to get this done one way or another. The prime minister, of course, has denied there was ever inappropriate pressure and has denied knowing that Wilson-Raybould had made up her mind on the issue. Does this tape suggest otherwise? How damaging is it to the prime minister? What happens now? to find out all about that, the scrum is here. What a day for Tanya McCharles, senior reporter with the Toronto Star, is here. Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa bureau chief, is here. Craig Oliver, CTV's chief political commentator, in all his years, he's never seen anything like this. And our special guest today is Green Party leader Elizabeth May. Um, all right, uh, the documents and the tapes are uh, the recorded conversations. Extraordinary. Uh, just your reaction, Elizabeth May. What does this all tell you?
2: It's fascinating that when Michael Warnick, our former clerk of Privy Council, testified before the Justice Committee and we pressed him on the the details of the phone conversation that Jody Wilson-Raybould related, he couldn't remember any of it because he said, I wasn't wearing a wire. Well, Jody Wilson-Raybould was. And we have a full transcript that substantiates veiled threats. The real question is, did the Prime Minister ask Michael Warnick to make this call? Did his former clerk of Privy Council, Kevin Lynch, ask him to make this call? On whose behalf... Was Wernick threatening Jody Wilson well don't Rayburn. forget
8: it came that phone call came right after Wernick had lunch with the Prime Minister that day so what it's it's pretty clear with the message he was delivering he had a message to deliver to her get this done he wants it done and she makes clear in that call contrary to what she said before that there was political interference yes. that's Not why just this was, an attempt
9: that's why this really was no, a smoking w- cell phone in the in terms of the Prime Minister can never quite have the reputation again he had before all Of these events she made it clear this was political interference with a criminal prosecution what else would the government be doing would they do that again do they do that often behind the scenes we're left to wonder well
6: and 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 what's interesting is the prime minister said time and time again if she did feel any pressure or that she if Mm -hmm. she felt there was any political interference she should have come to me well in this conversation Which she knows she's taping, so she's very well rehearsed. She's almost like a a surgeon, right? She knows exactly what to say, but she repeated several times, I feel this is political interference. She said it several Mm -hmm. times. So if the prime minister says he didn't know and she should have told him, well... He did know.
0: And Elizabeth May, the conversation begins, just to answer your first question. Wernick says, I wanted to pass on where the Prime Minister is at, clearly inferring mm. I am speaking on behalf of the Prime Minister. So that's how it starts. Uh, what else struck you yeah. about all this, Elizabeth May?
2: Well, I mean, we, we have Wernick putting this inappropriate pressure. And when Jody Wilson-Raybould says there wasn't political interference because there were attempts, she rebuffed the attempts at political interference. It's clear to me from all of this that neither the Clerk of Privy Council, our former clerk, uh, Michael Warnock, nor the Prime Minister, nor the people in his office who are supposed to know the law, Elder Marquez and Matthew Bouchard, none of them seem to understand the concept of prosecutorial independence, which is a constitutional principle. Jody Wilson-Raybould, I think, comes through very clearly in saying, I want to protect the Prime Minister. I'm telling you this Clearly, this is a warning. You mustn't press farther. it, It
9: is also pretty clear, if you tie all the dots together of three things Wernick said, the last one being, remember, you're not just the Attorney General, you are also a member of the government and a member of the Cabinet. It's pretty clear that they're ready to move her that that's the threat you know it would be bad if it was a collision uh... we we don't want to see this happen i'm worried about the prime minister and how determined he is she got the message the saturday night massacre was coming
8: there are other revelations in there too like uh, and contradictions of testimony we'd heard we were told by wernick and others that this was never discussed at cabinet she makes very clear that in fact she told Cabinet when they were enacting the law that when you do, guess what? There's no guarantee this has to be an exceptional use. It has to go to the prosecutor, only the prosecutor's decision. And SNC may never see a DPA. Right. She says that was discussed at Cabinet, that she raised it, and she flagged those concerns. Joyce, the, means- the
0: Prime is not inoculated, just to what Elizabeth May said. And just what strikes you... Wernick, I think he's going to find a way to get this done one way or another. He's in that kind of mood. So the prim- now Wernick's saying, describing the mood of the prime minister and what he's, and then and later she says, I know that he always gets things done. She, they're directly pulling the prime minister into this dialogue.
6: Absolutely. But, you know, it's kind of normal that the prime minister gets things done. It would be <laughs> abnormal if he didn't. Right. And he is the boss of the cabinet as well. So it, it it isn't that part I didn't find unusual. What I did find unusual and, and extraordinary is that this speaks to a such a frayed relationship. And you know a loss of trust. They are at loggerheads, and he says it himself. I don't she, know what to do with a prime minister and a, an a attorney general who are at loggerheads. So at one point, you really feel that he doesn't even know what to say anymore. He's trying, he's looking for his words, and he's 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 trying to make this right, and he can't. And when um, she and when, not, she, when she
8: gets off the phone, she knows where this is going. Absolutely. She text, yeah. Yes. Yeah. She texts her chief of staff, and she says the going to hit the fan
9: that's
0: right That's, right? that's the and and says, uh, uh, to,
8: she includes and, that in her package to the justice yes. committee she knew she was in trouble
9: she did not trust them and yes. she had good reason yeah. to do the tape had she not done it his her critics could have said it never happened because remember what said yeah. it the first time he was before the committee he said I don't remember that conversation how could he possibly she, have forgotten that conversation she, this guy yeah. has politicized that high job in the public service for all time. She
8: also puts the boots to any notion that this was about experiencing things differently or an, or yeah, an erosion yeah. of trust. She directly addresses that head on and hammers the point that it's about prosecutorial independence.
0: Okay, so what happens now, Elizabeth May? Can they call her back to Justice Committee? How do they get all this evidence in this recording and still say, you know what, we don't need to call her back to the Justice Committee to test all this evidence?
2: Well, I mean, I think they made a huge mistake in deciding to shut down her ability to finish her testimony and also to know what happened between the moment that she was made Minister of Veterans Affairs and when she decided to step down. To me, what's appalling and screams loudly from this evidence is that we do not have good legal advice to the clerk of privy council the prime minister or the people closest to him and they should be looking very closely right now at who decided to tell them and really they're not lawyers Justin Trudeau's not a lawyer Jerry Butts not a lawyer Michael Warnick says in his conversation with the attorney general I'm not a lawyer but surely there's a way to get around this prosecutorial independence thing good grief they should have been they should have been listening to their attorney general and getting good legal advice because this is a very serious abuse of their office by pushing for getting a deal for SNC-Lavalin instead of... By the way, they can give them a DPA between the verdict and the sentencing. They can do that, but this must go to open trial. Uh,
0: Joyce, uh, what happens now? The caucus will meet on Wednesday. Do they got to boot her out?
6: Well, you know, they, the. Yes, I think they will. I think a few of them are going to get up, and we know that, in caucus and ask that she be booted out. The question is, will the prime minister stay in the room when they're voting? Will they take a vote? Yeah. How will they do this? Right. But they will have to talk about that. We've been asking the prime minister every time, every opportunity. After she's taping Wernick, what How? <laughs> there can't be any right. trust exactly. in right? yeah. Exactly, exactly. If, if, if she starts taking notes during during the caucus, they're going to wonder, why is she taking notes? Is she going to use this against me? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's finished.
0: Well, Well, they used to say, beware the Ides of March, but I think Tonda quoted the December 19th, 557 text message is now the warning in Canada. Okay, the shite is going to hit the fan, and it has. (laughs) That is the quote of the year. All right, Elizabeth May. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll find out what hits the fan next week when the House returns. But coming up next, Justin Trudeau is in hot water after he made insensitive and insulting comments to some Aboriginal protesters. Now he's got to get on the road and defend the carbon tax that kicks off tomorrow. The Scrum is here to take on all that. Our special guest will be Pam Palmiter. Stay right here with Question Period.
6: Thank you for being here. Thank you
5: very much for your donation tonight. I really appreciate the uh, donation to the Liberal Party of
0: Canada. Well, in sports like golf, they call it the yips. When a golfer suddenly can't pot, can't put it in a hole, it can be a career-killing thing. It's like choking. And after that shocking interaction between Justin Trudeau and the protester from Grassy Narrows, a First Nations reserve, that's been suffering from industrial mercury poisoning, it looked very much like Justin Trudeau, still reeling from the SNC-Lavalin controversy, has the political yips. He just can't seem to get things right. His dismissal of the protester... Thank you for your donation, he said, to laughter in the room, knowing they paid 1500 bucks to attend the Liberal fundraiser, was widely condemned by leaders across the country. Trudeau apologized the next day. He offered to reimburse the protesters. But how damaging was that moment? Let's talk about that. And the big fight over the carbon tax that hits four provinces tomorrow... The Scrum is back. Tanya McCharles, Joyce Napier, Craig Oliver, and our special guest for this round is Pam Palmiter, chair of uh, Indigenous Governance at Ryerson University. Okay, uh, Pam, welcome to you. Um, thank you for your donation, Justin Trudeau said. One-fifth of, the, of his $20 billion of new spending in the new Liberal budget, one-fifth, $5 billion, was aimed at Canada's Indigenous people. But has that comment ended up damaging Justin uh, Trudeau's reputation?
10: Well, if that was the only comment he'd ever made or the only problem with this government, I would say no. But, I mean, this is probably the straw that breaks the camel's back. I mean... The, the complete lack of disrespect and, you know, the ridiculing of, of someone who's really just trying to protect the lives of her people and and hold Trudeau to a promise. Less than 1% of the funding that he promised to, to address uh, Grassy Narrow's mercury contamination has actually flowed. This is just one of many incidences that are piling up for First Nations that are showing some kind of, you know, underlying contempt for First Nations and disrespect that doesn't really jive with his nation-to-nation uh, um, dialogue in the public. Uh,
6: Joyce? I think what was deadly is it was the Prime Minister's Mary Antoinette moment, right? Your Majesty, people are dying. They don't have bread. Let them eat cake. Well, it's thank you for your donation, right? It was clear what the protesters wanted. It was very clear. I don't know if he heard it or not, but that's what it looked like. A Prime Minister totally disconnected with something he allegedly cares for.
0: Yeah. Craig. Well,
9: once again, uh, the prime minister, as he's done so often in the last seven weeks or so, uh, said the wrong thing to the wrong people at exactly the wrong time. He could have turned it to a plus. He could have stood and said, you know what, we spent 20 percent of our budget. Uh, on indigenous affairs, ma'am, and we're going to deal with your issue. I promise you that. But he didn't.
8: And ordinarily, he's so good at those kinds of moments, handling protesters. Ordinarily, he that's supposed to be his strength, having an emotional, empathetic connection with people. So clearly off his game, clearly rattled. I think what it does for indigenous critics of his like... Pam, is reinforces a belief. Will it last down mm-hmm. the road into a campaign? We'll see. But um, unfortunately, the last two months have been devastating for the government and for, lib- mm-hmm. uh, for the Liberal brand and for Trudeau particularly, and
6: we're seeing it in the polls. Uh, saying I'm sorry is probably not enough. Maybe going to visit... Um, grassy Narrows would be a good way of say of putting you know uh, money where his mouth is, and and going there as Perry Bellegarde suggested. Just go there. Saying I'm sorry mm-hmm. after this is is all fine and all dandy, s- but go there then. Or then the if,
10: funding. Or or fulfill the That's pledges right. of funding. Flow,
6: f- exactly. Flow
10: yeah. the funding. Actually build the healing center. Yes, deal with promised. the mercury contamination. Exactly. That's so much better than endless apologies. I mean, they Agreed. don't even want his apology. They want what was promised and Uh, i think he needs to start living up to that
0: all right i want to talk about the carbon tax now this kicks off in ontario new brunswick manitoba and saskatchewan tomorrow okay conservatives are making a massive push to make this a huge election issue there's a social media campaign even text messages that andrew shears working on uh tonda let me start with you on this this another quote defining issue for justin trudeau as he heads into an election but You know, the chief messenger on this is supposed to be Justin Trudeau. He's not right now messaging very well on this. Is this now a problem for him or not?
8: The thing is, you know, with everything that's eroding the liberal brand, uh, people are going to start to look at other people who are also spinning the same message on climate change, particularly the NDP and the Greens. So it's too early to say that this is going to be uh, deadly for them. Um... But the, there is a risk that the NDP and the Greens eat their lunch on it.
0: Right, and Joyce the timing may be great for them because if, they, if there's a big war tomorrow that starts over the pipeline and you've got the provinces like Doug Ford and Jason Kenney
6: in Alberta, maybe this is what the Liberals want. They'd rather that fight than the SNC fight. The problem is they don't see the problem. That's the problem. And there is a problem with the carbon tax. I mean, these are four provinces, huge provinces. Scott Moe is one of the most popular premiers in Canada, according to a poll last week. So, you know, he's going up against not only those premiers, he's going up against the people that these premiers represent. So it's not just a war between politicians, it's trying to convince the people of Canada that this particular carbon tax, that's too low for it to be really effective, right, is the right thing to do. I think the
9: possibility well, of a climate catastrophe really cuts across party lines. And this is a chance for yeah. Trudeau uh, yeah. to look almost heroic as he takes on more than half of the provinces in the country on something he really believes in and can look authentic in. Uh, this may be a yes. big chance for him. Uh,
10: Uh, I I completely agree. I mean, because look at how polarized the issue is. I mean, people either fall into the U.S. President Trump climate denier uh, or you're, you know, going to act on climate change. And if he isn't doing minimal steps and and carbon tax is a minimal step in compared to other things that can be uh, happening, he's got to do something to show that he's in the climate change action side of the
0: uh, equation. Um, One thing, Tonda, that's fascinating. The Conservatives have done pretty simple messaging on this, which is effective. The price of gas is going to go up. It's a tax on everything. As of tomorrow, everything's going to go up. On the other side, the Liberals have to sell this idea, no it's not, there's a rebate. And the Conservatives willfully never talk about the rebate, because they say it's kind of bogus. That is the it's, liberal message—a little too complex. Well, next to it, that, it
8: may yes. be, and it's hard to actually say. Uh, as we've heard the environment minister say, it's not a cash grab. It's not a cash grab. When you're fighting th- on th- those lines, you're already, I think, a little bit losing. You, their message can't be a negative; it has to be a positive. And I don't think they found mm. their feet on that.
9: I'm waiting for my check.
8: Yeah.
2: Well. <laughs> I yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I. I. I don't know. Wait. Wait. Sitting down. Don't 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 expect it so fast and you know that 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 is the issue i think they don't know how to sell it and how do you campaign on hey everybody this is a tax people don't like taxes so that's that's also but it's, a, something. Tax back. it's yes, a tax back yes yes sure
0: it's complicated absolutely but i i think also for andrew Shearer will be interesting he signed on to the paris climate accord he voted for that stuff his government or uh, his you know, the Harper government did as well. Again, we're waiting to see his plan, but for now his plan is to oppose the carbon tax, which kicks in tomorrow in four provinces. i got to leave it there. Tonda, Joyce, Craig, and uh, Pam Palmer. always a pleasure to have all of you on the program. Thanks for watching. We'll be watching tomorrow morning uh, when the House comes back, and we will see you all back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching.